What's going on, guys? Welcome to episode 45 of Calling All Crap Beer. My name is Luke. I am your host, and I'm happy to be back with you this week. I know we talked on the last episode a little bit about me cutting back on beer, which is a huge uh, necessity for me at this point in time, trying to get back in shape. So, But good thing is I got tons of beer backlog from the last few events that I hit and things like that, so I got a lot to catch up on. And then once I'm caught up, we'll probably switch over to a bi-weekly um, release of the show but i'm happy to be here hope you guys are having a great day got some original transformers playing in the background little shia labeouf love (laughs) if you're a shia labeouf fan the uh absolutely enjoying a my last can of double blazed orange from hot butcher up in chicago and if you're not familiar with this beer it is a citra and strata hopped Double milkshake IPA is literally a it's literally a cream sickle in a can. Nine and a half percent ABV, so it's a strong beer, but you would never know that. You couldn't tell this thing had nine and a half percent beer or ABV in it if uh, if your life depended on it. It is absolutely a phenomenal overall beer. And genuinely one of my favorites. So let's get into these reviews. So we can move on to some other craziness we got going on. So I got a couple left over from Wakefest. <clears throat> then I got a couple from the day of Wakefest um, over at Trippin' Animals. And then I got some others that were on my list from before Wakefest. So we're going to start off with Three the Hard Way, which is a triple IPA from Jay Wakefield. They take their base slamming double IPA and they use that as a base beer to create the Three the Hard Way for the Union Beer Store's three-year anniversary, I believe, um, 10% ABV, it's Citra and Columbus hops, juicy, lots of citrus. It was a great overall beer. Um, it was a little acidic, maybe might have been the only um, feedback that I could give that would be constructive, so to speak, but I did enjoy it. One of the ones that was on tap for the In the J Wakefield tent at uh, Wakefest. Next one on the list is Banana Cream High from Vitamin C. Vitamin C Brewing. This is a 7.6% ABV cream ale, and it is literally a banana cream pie in a in a in a in a glass. Absolutely fantastic. Banana, graham cracker crust, marshmallow, vanilla, just I mean, I don't even know what to say. It was phenomenal. I absolutely enjoyed it. It was one of the others that I missed from Wakefest. Just so damn good. I mean, if you are a fan of banana anything, you would have enjoyed this. There was a lot of really good banana stuff at Wakefest, now that I think about it. You know, we had the the the, the anniversary stout from Jay Wakefield that was, you know, basically chocolate banana. Choco banana was absolutely amazing. I mean, I'm just loving this use of banana flavoring in beer, and I'm hoping that it continues. I am definitely a banana fan. So... As we talked about last week, when I took off from Wakefest, I headed over to Trippin' Animals to kind of gather my thoughts and hang out for a little bit. And I did try their new triple IPA, which is called Smile, You Son of a... (laughs) And it has a really cool can art with an awesome, like, great white shark on the front of it. This one is... was hopped with Idaho 7, Simcoe, and Amarillo hops. Very hoppy, lots of citrus. My take on it was it was a little rough. It was a little on the young side. So... And what I mean by that is I think that the beer needed a little bit more time to rest. It was, it was, it was a little aggressive, a little, little bit of hot burn going on. But at 
It was a, the flavor was great once you got kind of past the hot burn. Um, and I did enjoy it, but I didn't pick up any cans because I wanted to give it a little time to rest. And I'm regretting that now because I probably should have bought a four pack of cans and just let them sit in the fridge. So <clears throat> I'm excited to get back over there hopefully tomorrow because they just had a, another can release for a hazy IPA that they came out with. And I, I really want to try that. 7% single IPA, but it looks fantastic. So then we got J&J Malt Liquor. Now this one cracks me up. Another Trippin' Animals brew. This was actually a collaboration, and I was laughing my ass off because, I kid you not, it is a 9.2% ABV malt liquor. So it is essentially a strong, stronger variant of like an Old English, and it tastes like it. Super malty forward. It's all malt, like not much other flavoring in it whatsoever, and it was just incredible i mean i i'm not, when i say incredible it was incredible how much it actually tastes like you know old english or one of the old like malt liquors at colt 45 you know something like that that we used to drink in like 40s back in the day because for me it's not my cup of tea right now but it brought me back like to the old days which was pretty funny mm. i'll never forget you know being that that 18 year old kid Standing outside of the liquor store trying to get somebody to buy us beer, and we're like, "Yo, yo, can you get a? Can you go? Here's 15 bucks. Can you go get us three OE 40s?" <laughs> yo, that that was those were the days when it started. You know what I mean? Back in the back in the olden days. So then we're gonna move on to a series. Now this is four beers from Pure Project Brewing in California, and it was their anniversary murky series. Okay, I made the. Some may call it a brash decision. Some may call it a um, brave decision. Some may just call me an idiot. I call me an idiot because I made the decision. I said to myself, I'm like, look, I could either do the single and the double one day and the triple and the quad, excuse me, and the triple and the quad on another day. Or I could break it up and do the single and the triple and then do the double and the quad. You know, I could have broken it up any any amount of ways that I wanted to break it up. Nah, I did all four in one night. And I did all four in one night back to back to back to back. Not within hours of each other. I did them all in one night to the point where it was like, you know, 6, 6.30, 6.45, 7. <laughs> you know what I mean? Back to back to back. And I will tell you guys... With a million percent certainty, it's the first time in a long time that I could genuinely say I was drunk. I don't even remember a whole lot about the quad. I remember flavors and stuff like that, especially since I make a point when I'm doing stuff like this to write it down. But uh, I literally crashed. Like it's like within 10, 15 minutes of me finishing that quad, I crashed. So let's start with the first one, which is the single IPA of the group. It's called Offshore Light IPA. It's a 6.5% ABV. Single IPA, it's hopped with citric with mosaic cryo, racal, racal, and strata hops. Super dank, earthy, pungent, and had a nice creamy mouthfeel to it. Rated a 4.25 out of 5 on untapped, and that was the single murky IPA. They're called they're basically New England IPAs, but they're calling them murky IPAs to give them their own they make their own spin on it, which I thought was really cool. Six and a half percent that bad boy was. The double, which was the next one on the list, was called Royal Fortune. It's a double IPA, 8.5% ABV. This one is hopped with Sabro, Motika, Southern Cross, Mosaic, uh, Southern Cross, and Mosaic. Another one, 
super dank, nice and creamy, a lot of earthiness to it. There were fruit notes to it, but it was overcome a little bit by like a dank, pungent, pungent, dank, pungent, you know, flavor overall. Another one I rated 4.25 out of 5 on Untapped. Great, you know, New England style IPA. Could not complain. If you would have asked me the next day, I, I, I was probably saying that the, the double was my favorite, but the more that I think about it and as time progresses, I really think that the quad was probably my favorite, but I was just so far gone at that point that I couldn't really, uh, <laughs> because I rated them higher. Now, a lot of, a lot of people might say, well, you're an ABV snob, so maybe you rated the other ones higher because they're higher ABV, and that's, that's a, a good, valid point that you're making there. <laughs> However... Um, I do genuinely think that I just the triple and the and the, the quad were my favorites. So moving on to the triple, the triple was called Backlit Abyss, triple IPA, ten point five percent ABV, Simcoe, Sultana, Mosaic, and Hallertau Blanc hops. Strong. This one was crazy at ten and a half percent ABV. The triple was way boozier than the quad, so I got a lot more booziness out of the triple than I did out of the quad. Um, pine. It was a nice pineapple flavor. Dank, pungent, and it had a really soft, you know, mouthfeel creaminess to it. They all did. They all had a very soft, creamy mouthfeel. I rated that one a 4.5 out of 5 on Untapped, and it was, I mean, it was fantastic. Let me move on to the final one of the night. <clears throat> it's called Cruel Sea Quad IPA, 13% ABV, Nelson, Citra Cryo, and Cashmere Hops. Super smooth. Apricot, mango, pineapple, creamy, dank. The, as I drank it, about halfway through the can, it started to get a little boozier on the back end. Um, but initially, it, I mean, it hid the booze so well that it wasn't until about halfway through the beer that I think some of the other like fruit flavors started to kind of subside that I started to pick up more of a booziness. But it was definitely damn good. Liked it a lot. That one as well, I rated a 4.5 out of 5 on Untapped. Um, that was a, a gift birthday gift from my buddy drew out in california and uh i just loved it you know that those are the last four of the uh bomb that he recently sent me i think i, ha- I do have a uh, a stout left that i got that i have to finish up from him that he said was one of his favorite stouts but i've been kind of staying away from the stouts because of the um high calorie content high alcohol content and for some reason, I've been struggling the last like four or five months. Most stouts, really, I can drink one, period, with no other beers, no other anything, and I and I'll be okay. But they've really been bothering my stomach lately, and I, you know, I am lactose intolerant, so a lot of times I want to blame it on the lactose. But I drink IPAs and stuff that contain like milk, sugar, and lactose, and it doesn't bother me. So I don't really know what the heck is going on with that. Oh, so good. Mm-hmm. So, moving on to just kind of this week's, you know, fun stuff, what we got going on. So, it's a, uh, God, how can I even, like, talk about this? It's so weird, right? But, it, uh, I don't know. I don't even know how to say this. It's kind of a weird. All right. So put it. I can't. I don't really know how to say it. 
What's going on, guys? Welcome to segment two of episode 45, Calling All Crap Beer. My name is Luke. I'm your host. And today is kind of a, I don't know, it's kind of a weird show. You know, and what I mean by that is I've really been plagued by, you know, just some thoughts and some things lately that I've been just paying attention to. And I really wanted to break it down here and talk about it. Because you get a lot of people that will beat us up or hate on us for kind of being crap brew lovers. And, you know, I've seen a lot of statements lately lately about, you know, not only from people within the crap beer community, but people outside of it saying, well, you know, being a crap beer enthusiast is essentially just a way to justify being an alcoholic. And I think it falls into you know, a lot of different scenarios with people, you know, and I look at myself and, and, you know, please guys, I got the last thing I want to do is call anybody out or try to make anybody feel bad about their decision or what they're doing or, you know, enjoying their life. But I do look at myself in a very different light. And throughout my life, I've had two addictions, two full fledged, full on, I'm addicted And there's nothing that I can do to stop it other than, you know, really like some type of an intervention, be it personal, people, coaching, you know, whatever the case may be. But my first addiction has and will always be food, you know, and when I talk about that, it's crazy because I remember having conversations with buddies like back in the day because, you know, I don't know how much I've delved into this topic in the past, but I was very, very, very much into drugs when I was a teenager, you know, even into my late teens, early 20s, and I quit everything cold turkey as soon as I found out my daughter's mother was pregnant. It was from one day to the next, as soon as she told me she was pregnant, I was done. And I'm not going to say that I haven't, hadn't like experimented or done other things since then, you know, here and there, but it went from being a weekly occurrence, daily occurrence, all the time to essentially nothing overnight and you know and it was just a matter of okay it's time to step up so being able to do that and not having you know issues with it not missing it not really worrying about it but just putting my full effort into being a father and being a provider and you know and and taking care of my family I never missed it I never you know I mean there's been times when I can look back, you know, one of the things that I was really heavy into for a while was ecstasy, you know, and I actually sold it for a while and, you know, did some things that I'm not proud of in that area. And, uh, I just, you know, could I, if I put myself in that position, like, let's say I was at a party or I was hanging out with people right now today and somebody offered me an ecstasy pill, I can say with utmost certainty that I would turn it down because I don't want to fall back into that, um, you know, that issue, but I can't say that back when I was in my, you know, mid twenties had the same thing happen that I would have had the strength or the, you know, the, the wherewithal to say, no, no, thank you. I'm done. So, you know, I never really got into any heavy drugs. I never did crack. I never did heroin. I never did anything like that. I did PCP, you know, pot, tried cocaine a couple times, you know, um, did, you know, Adderall and things like that, that, you know, prescription drugs that kids were taking. Um, I did take some Oxycontins a couple times. I did the, which, you know, essentially a lot of people will refer it, that to being similar to, 
um, heroin, which, you know, I never did the, the street version, but I've only done it, only did it a couple times and I never felt a need to go back to it. So, but I've always been really careful myself with pain throughout my life. You know, when doctors have asked me, you know, do you prefer like a narcotic, you know, do you want a Percocet? Do you want a Vicodin? Do you want this? I've always turned it down and I just stuck with Tylenol and ibuprofen and I've never desired you know, anything. And sometimes it's been bad. Like I've had pain, like, you know, even right now with my ankle, like, you know, when I was at the hospital, you know, they asked me, you know, how bad your pain, you know, do you need a pain medication? I was like, no, thank you. I can take ibuprofen. And they just gave me prednisone and it helped a lot with the, the swelling and everything in my ankle. So I don't know if that's just decision-making or if that's strength or if that's, you know, a lack of ability to be addicted. I, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't know how to, to present that situation, but I can tell you full fledged 100% with all the certainty in the world that I'm addicted to food. I will always be addicted to food. You know, sweets are my drug. I mean, that's, there's something that has always been an issue and a struggle and a fight. And, you know, I, I, I don't know. I don't know that I'll ever be able to beat it completely to the point where I can genuinely say, you know, I'm no longer addicted, you know, to food. So, um, you know, and, and that's, that's been, you know, one, one thing. And then the other thing that I can honestly say that I've been addicted to in truth, you know, a million percent more than anything is success. And I know some people will listen to this and go, you're addicted to success. Shut up. Well, at the end of the day, it's more of an obsession. It's, it's one of those things where I have changed my career path so many times throughout my life because I didn't feel like I was going where I wanted to go. So rather than continue to push forward, I've made sometimes a mistake of changing and going a different direction because I felt like I wasn't going where I wanted to in my current situation. You know, I can look back on my life and, you know, I I look at someone like my wife who, I want to say, I think my wife has had four employers her entire life and she's 41 years old and every single one of them she was with for years and years, you know what I mean? And then I look at my resume and it's like, holy shit, you know, like I'm at the point in life where I think I've really found my niche and I'm happy with what I'm doing in the marketing space and the consulting. And, you know, I really feel like I've learned, I've worked for, I think the cool thing about working in so many different arenas and so many different career paths and so many different employers is that I've learned a lot about people and about leadership and about how people desire to be treated and, and, and held accountable and appreciated and encouraged. And I think that's helped me overall to be a better leader, a better, you know, employer, a better friend, a better husband, a better father, you know what I mean? Things like that just have helped immensely throughout the years. But then I look back at you know, that scenario. And it just, you know, it does frustrate me because I do wish at times that I would have stuck with certain things longer, but, um, but I also understand that that's just not my character. I'm one of those people that is always pushing forward. And my wife gets so frustrated with me sometimes because nothing is ever good enough for me. I'm one of those people that is constantly striving to be better. And I've been, you know, in the situation where I've made six figures plus and, lost it and and went back down to, you know, doing nothing and then, you know, got back to a good spot again and then lost it again. And, you know, a lot of the times I I look back at, you know, scenarios and situations and I say to myself, you know, apparently God just doesn't want me to be 
wealthy because I don't know how to control my spending. I don't know how to control the ex, ex, the excess financial gain. And in, and because of that, he's just going to, you know, put me in a position where I might have a little bit more than what I need, you know, slight, you know, slightly positive, but, uh, until I really get a, a grasp on spending and control and things like that. And I know, you know, I'm 40 years old and a lot of people will be like, damn, dude, at 40, you don't have a grasp on your spending yet. Well, I do, but I don't, you know, and I still have that mindset that I could, I could die tomorrow. You know, any of us could die tomorrow. So I'm all about ex- experiencing life, enjoying life and not being concerned with the circumstances. And what I mean by that is not necessarily like anything negative, but if I have to, you know, use a credit card to go on a vacation so that I can have an experience with my kids that I may not have had otherwise to create memories and be able to go out and do things that will be, you know, life altering, life changing events with them. I'm going to do it. It doesn't matter to me whether I have the physical liquid cash to just pay for the trip and go or if I have to pay for it for the next 12 months. I don't care. Like, And I know that, that a lot of people probably listen to that and say, uh, you know, that's stupid. You shouldn't live your life like that. Well, you know, and, and yeah, the credit, but, but then again, I look at it and I think, you know, the total that my wife and I owe in credit is $9,000, nothing in comparison to what most people in the United States right now owe. You know, I was looking at some figures the other day and it says the average, the average family of five in the United States right now has a, uh, income to debt ratio of well no not an income to debt ratio what was the it was a has an overall debt of an average of 100 to 100 and the average is 98 to 126 thousand dollars in debt and i was like we're nowhere near that i mean don't get me wrong if i add in the cars which we both have cars that we're paying for you know i think mine's twenty five thousand, hers is like 16 so you know we're 40,000 there, but with our credit, with our total credit card debt, everything that we owe, you know, that's about $49,000, which we're half or a third, you know, of what the average, you know, family, family of five in the United States has right now. So I'm happy with that. Like I, you know, and maybe that's stupid. You know, some of you guys might be listening to this and going, wow, you're an idiot. Well, you know, but I also happen to know that I have a lot of friends that make better money than me and still spend beyond their means to the point where they might have a fancier car, a BMW, a Mercedes, a Corvette or whatever. And they're paying thousand dollar a month car payments. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you know, $500 a month for insurance and a $5,000 mortgage and all this stuff. And I'm nowhere near there. You know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, I don't, I don't even think my, my wife and I spend a thousand dollars a month between both of our car payments and our insurance, you know, maybe right at a thousand for two cars and full coverage on both vehicles. I mean, that might be, yeah, it's probably right at about a thousand bucks, but that's, I mean, for two cars with full coverage insurance. So at the end of the day, you know, that's not what, that's not where I was going with all this, but you get where I'm saying. So that, that, the, the, the spending thing, the success thing has always been, you know, like a, has always been something that, you know, you talk to a financial advisor, you talk to someone who, knows about this stuff and they will chastise you for that. Oh, you can't live that way. Oh, you, you know, you, you have to pay off your debt. Oh, you have to do this. You have to do that. And okay, I get it. I understand. But again, I could die tomorrow. And I'm always been, I've always been that kind of person that is 
that wants to live in the moment, wants to be able to, to do the things that we may not potentially be able to do. And the reason why I'm kind of going into this and, and, and kind of have taken this segue into this piece a little bit is that I learned, you know, I watch as I'm getting older, I watch people around me and I watch friends that are, you know, healthy, that are just, you know, I mean, no issues. You never would expect them to have any type of a health concern, health scare. And I've seen people just die out of nowhere. I've seen people get sick out of nowhere. I've seen people have traumatic events happen out of nowhere. You know what I mean? I mean, it could be a car accident where you get paralyzed or something happens. You know, I had a good friend of mine just two days ago had a stroke, you know, and you know, I'm, I'm praying through all this that he still has mobility, that he's still able to work, that he's still able to do what he needs to do. But general feedback so far has been that he does have some paralysis and that's not a good thing, you know, and, and, and I don't want, you know, I don't want to be that guy where it's, you know, I, I focus everything on, you know, caring so much about, you know, not having any debt, not having, you know, it'd be totally different if I was in a position where I was making 200 grand a year and I could pay everything off and, you know, be living completely in the black all the time and just controlling our spending to make sure that we had savings and whatnot. And I get it. And I do want to leave something for my kids, but you know, that'll be something that I'll figure out, I guess a little bit later on down the line, if that happens. So at the end of the day, you know, live for the moment is what I'm thinking, you know, and, and maybe I'm wrong. And maybe some of you guys listening to the podcast would say the same thing and be like, dude, yeah, you're way off. Like you can't live like that. And I'm like, well, I think a lot more of us live that way than want to be, than are honest enough to really say it. So, but when you go back to the addiction piece, it, I just wonder, you know, how many of us are in, how many of you guys out there are involved in the craft beer scene because you are alcoholics, because you are addicted to beer because you're addicted to the attention, you know, you're addicted to the post you're, you know, I fall away from social media once in a while because I just get overwhelmed and frustrated with it. And I don't, because I don't care enough about the likes, the views, the, you know, it's not important to me. As a matter of fact, it gets taxing. It gets, you know, just exhausting at times. And I just want to back away and not be, not have anything to do with it for a while. So, Sometimes it's life related. Sometimes it's just, you know, work related. Sometimes it's just me and I just don't want to have anything to do with it. I don't want to have, I don't want to feel like I'm under pressure to continue to post and put stuff out there. And, you know, and lately, you know, as I put my health first, you know, I don't miss beer. It's weird. I mean, you know, I was actually, I tried to do the show all in one piece and I started doing the beer reviews and I wasn't feeling it. I just wasn't in a place where I felt good talking about beer. I was drinking a beer and I didn't even like it. Like it, you know, I had, if you listen to the first segment of the show talking about the reviews, I was drinking one of my favorite beers, a double blazed orange from hot butcher. And I just, you know, it just bleh. like, I, I didn't dislike it, but I wasn't like, Oh my God, this is the greatest beer in the world. Like I may have been a few months ago, you know, so life goes through ebbs and flows. And right now I'm in one of those positions where I've had to put my health first. You know, I'm at the point now where I'm 25 pounds down, I'm feeling better, you know, and I really attribute the majority of it to, you know, like cutting back significantly on, you know, beer. Obviously, I have been, you know, working out and 
I'm doing cardio and I changed my diet completely. I'm doing essentially carnivore six days a week. And then I have one meal on day seven that I eat whatever I want, but I've still tried to keep it carnivore-esque. So, but I do usually include some carbs or something like that into it. So, um, you know, last time this, um, yesterday was, um, what did we do yesterday? Yesterday was sausage. I did a, a sweet Italian sausage with, um, with like a salsa, you know, marmalade kind of deal over top of it. And I put that over top of tater tots. <laughs> I know sounds weird, but it was just what I wanted. I mean, it was just this weird combination of shit that I put together on my own and it was fantastic. I loved it. And that was the only meal I ate throughout the entire day. The rest of my day yesterday was water, black coffee. And I did have one diet soda yesterday just to kind of take the edge off a little bit, but you know, that's it. And that's been, that's been working great for me. I mean, like I said, I'm down 25 pounds and granted, I do believe that the majority of the weight loss so far has been from the, just cutting back on the alcohol. I mean, I had gotten to a point where I was probably drinking on a normal week, six to eight beers on a high week, 12 to 18 beers, you know, and every once in a while I have a low week where I'd only maybe do four or six, but now I'm at the point where it's two. That's it. So it's why I talked about cutting the podcast back to every two weeks. So that way I actually have something to talk about with you guys. I mean, the cool thing is that I am backlogged a bunch of beers that I have not read reviews about yet because of all the events and stuff that we had going on. So that's a cool thing. So I can probably keep doing it every week for a few more weeks and then cut it back to every two weeks. But at the end of the day, when I think about it, it's like, how many of you guys are doing this because you just like craft beer? Because there's got to be a point, there's got to be a threshold where we say, okay, now it's excessive. Now we're bordering or we are alcoholics, you know, or, you know, and I always hear a lot of people talk about gateway drugs and gateways. And, you know, a lot of people talk about how alcohol opens the door for, you know, other drugs and, you know, things like that. And I have noticed, especially with the legalization of marijuana lately, that I see a lot more pot on my feed on IG than I ever had in the past. And I feel like a lot of my followers, friends, you know, people that I'm, that I associate myself with that are in states where, um, where marijuana is legal for recreational use. It's now becoming commonplace and associated with craft beer. So I'm not a pot guy. Sorry. I'm just not, you know, um, I may dabble with CBD just for some pain, um, you know, pain management and anxiety and things like that. But I smoked weed a lot when I was in, you know, high school, you know, um, teenager to my early twenties. And just once I stopped doing it, I never had a desire for it. Now I'm at the point where the smell literally irritates me. Like when I walk out of my house and I smell it, it drives me crazy because even here in Florida, it's medically legal. And I live in an apartment complex where we have a plethora of different people. And there's quite a few people in my building alone that consistently, I mean, you can walk out of the house to walk the dog at six o'clock in the morning and it smells like skunky weed. And I'm sorry, it just bothers me. I don't like the smell. It doesn't, that pungent, disgusting odor just doesn't, it doesn't do it for me. You know, there's nothing that makes me, oh, I want to go seek it out and sniff it. You know, like it just, I don't like it. And it pisses me off because... I've actually talked to people that I know 
who are like from Colorado and are from, you know, Las Vegas and are from places like that, that are, have moved because they can't stand it. Like I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day who's from Denver and he said, he's like, dude, I had to move. He's like, I had to move to the outskirts of the city. He's like, because you can't walk around downtown Denver anymore without, it's literally like there's a fog of weed smoke over the entire downtown area. He was like, and it's just disgusting. And someone like me who doesn't smoke weed, I can't handle it. So, you know, I look at that and I look at how it's kind of becoming synonymous with the craft beer scene in the areas where it's become illegal or become legal for recreational use. And, you know, and and I wonder what's next, you know, I mean, are you guys going to start crushing up opiates and, you know, smoking them on your, you know, IG feeds and stuff like that. And I'm not being judgmental. I'm, you know, I'm just, this is just a discussion, you know, to talk about, you know, how these things kind of, you know, open up gateways and open up, you know, doorways for other stuff. And I just wonder, you know, as someone who enjoys craft beer, I've never had a desire to want to smoke a joint and drink a beer. I've never had a desire to want to take a Vicodin and smoke and drink a beer. I've never, you know, beer is enough for me. I enjoy my beer and I, and, and even right now I don't miss the beer. I don't miss the fact that I'm not drinking more beer every week. You know, I, I actually got to the point where the two that I had this past weekend, I didn't really feel that good after I drank them. And I don't know if that's just because I've been so limited and I've changed my diet and my body's changing and, you know, whatever's going on, but I didn't feel that great. And I actually found myself, you know, with a little diarrhea afterwards. And, you know, I, I don't know, you know, where, how that's going to go. Do I still like craft beer? Of course I do, you know, and I'm going to continue to enjoy craft beer and I'm going to continue to, to do the podcast and I'm going to continue to, to bring rate reviews and stuff to you guys. So this is not me, you know, talking about exiting the craft beer scene. It's something that I enjoy. I enjoy the camaraderie. I enjoy the, the brotherhood. I enjoy, you know, the, the breweries and all the cool stuff that goes on. You know, we have a couple events scheduled, you know, coming up over the next uh, few weeks, few or a few months. So I'm excited for that. And I want to be a part of it. And I do feel like, Maybe it's the drinking at home alone thing that has gotten boring to me and that it's not, that I want to now that I've experienced going out more and, and kind of gone backwards in time to having that little bit of freedom of being able to get out there and enjoy things with other people. It's made me desire that more versus just sitting at home and drinking beer. You know, I, I don't know. I, it's, there's so much that goes on, but I look back, you know, and I, and I wonder, you know, you know, the opioid crisis is so huge in the United States right now to the point where I almost feel like we can't go a week without hearing about somebody locally passing away from an overdose and, you know, whatever else. And it drives me crazy. You know, we actually do an outreach at a um, at a rehab center and 70 percent of the kids. And when I say kids, they're they're kids, they're teenagers to young adults, but they're nobody over 30 years old in this building, in these buildings. And majority of them are 21 and younger, you know, well, 18 to 21 and 70% of them are there for opiates, opioids, you know, and, and it's crazy to think that, you know, they either, they were given Oxycontin for whatever, or they were given, you know, a pill by a doctor and you listen to their stories. And a lot of them are stories where they were prescribed a medication and we're never able to get off of it. Some of them are, I stole it out of my mom's cabinet and just became addicted to it. You know, there's obviously a lot more of those, but it's amazing how many of them are so young 
and are addicted to these pain medications because they were prescribed to them by a doctor for an injury or, you know, something that happened and they became addicted to them. It's just frustrating. You know, you look at that scenario and I, you know, I almost wonder, you know, there's, I feel like there's two types of people and maybe I'm wrong. There could be multiple, multitude, you know, different types of people, but I feel like there's two types of people. I feel like there's people that easily succumb to addiction. And then I feel like there's people who logically recognize the detriment that it could have to your life. And they're more able to walk away. If that makes any sense, you know, like I look at myself and I look at how many times I've been, you know, down that road and the stuff that I've messed with and the things that I've done. And we're not talking about short spans. I mean, we're talking about, you know, back in my teenage years and we're talking years of, weed and, um, ecstasy and, you know, PCP and, you know, whatever. I mean, there were times, you know, when I just couldn't, when I wouldn't be able to get my hands on, you know, weed or whatever. So be Xanax or be beer or be whatever, you know I mean? Whatever we could get at the time bars, you know what I mean? And that's now, again, I was lucky and I was lucky in the sense that Myself and none of my myself nor any of my friends ever got into the deeper drugs I crack and things like that. Now, I did have friends who went that route later on in life. I actually when I was uh, 20 years old, my mom threw me out and my girlfriend at the time was pregnant with my oldest daughter. And we moved into my buddy's house, which was essentially, you know, essentially a flop house. You know, he had his parents owned this home in uh, Haddon Township, New Jersey, and they had moved on and left the house to be taken over by the bank. And his dad, his dad knew that he was going to stay behind. So they continued to pay the electric. They continued to pay the water for him, you know, for a while. It was like two or three months that we were there and we had electricity and we had water and things were good. And then eventually, you know, and the reason why I went there is because I had nowhere else to go and we didn't have any money at the time, you know, nothing saved or anything like that. So there really, really wasn't a whole lot that we could do. So we lived in this flop house you know, so to speak, we had our own bedroom, you know, we had a mattress on the floor, we had a little refrigerator, you know, we had a TV, we had the little stuff that we needed in the room that was ours, that was personal. And eventually it got to the point where the electricity got turned off, and then the water got turned off. And so we no longer had a place to take showers. So we had to go to friends houses to take showers, we had to go, we had to get a cooler to keep our food in with ice because we didn't have anywhere to eat. Um, you know, or anywhere to, to store our, our cold stuff, you know, and it, it got, it, it got hard, you know, and then for a little while, I don't know what happened, but for a little while we got power and water back for a little while. I don't know if he reached out to his dad and begged him, you know, to get it turned back on or what they did. But for a little while we had some back and then it got to a point where him and his friends started breaking into our room. So they would break, they would get high downstairs. They were all doing crack and they would get high downstairs and they would break into our room and they would steal our food. They would steal whatever belongings we had that they could sell to try to buy more crack because none of them were working. And so we finally got to a point where we just couldn't stay there anymore and we had to get out. And, you know, a lot of times I was working. I mean, I was working in an auto glass shop and I couldn't leave, you know, my pregnant girlfriend at home knowing that there's a potential that she could be hurt by one of these, you know, crackhead people that was staying in the house. And there were a couple, there was, the final time was she was in the room sleeping and someone tried to break the door down. And when they heard her in there, they left her, they stopped and ran away. But that was the last straw. You know, that was it for me. Like I was done. I was like, you know what? We can't do this anymore. 
and we finally found a little place of our own and we moved in there and uh that was where my daughter was born you know essentially not in the house obviously but um that was where she her first place that we lived in where she was born so but it's uh you know I look back at stuff like that and you know addiction how addiction has affected me in my life and you know I just wonder you know to me it's like I love being part of the craft beer community. I love being out there and seeing, you know, what the camaraderie and the brotherhood and the sisterhood and you know what all that stuff is like. But I can't help but wonder how many of you guys are out there that are ruining your lives because you're making this a priority when you shouldn't be. You know what I mean? I mean, some of you guys I see, and granted, maybe I'm wrong, and maybe just some of you guys are, you know, rich, or you have really good jobs, and you, you know, and, and it doesn't affect your work at all, and you're good, and you make tons of money, or maybe you have a business that you don't have to actually be there and run, so the the money just keeps coming in. I don't know, but some, but the way some of you guys just live the craft beer lifestyle, I, you know, I, I can't help but be concerned, you know, at the level that some people are taking it and you know it's none of my business at the end of the day i'm not gonna you know call you out or you know beat you up or tell you you shouldn't do that that's your decision and you're an adult and you know we're all adults but it's you know when you start seeing this huge community of people just i mean excessively drinking over and over again it just makes you know it just makes me wonder and i just start thinking about you know when does it become when does it go from hobby to a problem you know what I mean? When does it go from something that we just enjoy and we, you know, you know, do on occasion to holy crap, you really are an alcoholic, <laughs> you know, and it's, you know, I think a lot of us would probably, if we were put on the spot and somebody asked us straight up to our faces, we would probably, and they kind of laid it out and said, these, this is what makes somebody an alcoholic. Most, a lot of people within the craft beer community probably be like, you know what, then I probably am. I guess I am an alcoholic. So, so I remember back in the day, it used to be, you know, we used to laugh and it used to be okay. If you don't, as long as you don't drink before noon, you're not an alcoholic. Or, you know, as long as you don't drink every day, you're not an alcoholic. Or as long as you, you know, don't, don't crave beer, you're not an alcoholic. And yeah, I mean, or be, you know, alcohol in general, but you know, it's just, something to think about and if you are one of those people out there to listen to the show and you know that you might have a problem that you might have a concern or you know maybe it's excessive for you and you're you know listening to this podcast kind of makes you realize you know what I think Luke's right maybe I should cut back you know I do know people who are alcoholics and have been through the program and done all kinds of stuff who have gone back to drinking and are able to control it because I think there's, you know, there are people in this world that can control something that may have gotten out of hand at one point in time to the level of being an addiction, but are able, have learned from the process and are able to control that. You know, my father-in-law is a good example of that, where he was a like nasty drunk that, you know, just, I mean, you know, really put his family through some crazy stuff and he didn't drink for 20 years. And in the last two or three years, he's started, you know, drinking again, you know, socially, we'll go out to dinner, I'll have a beer, maybe two, you know, and things like that. And 
he's he's been able to control it for the last two years to the point where he doesn't live off of alcohol. Whereas before, you know, it was they would make jokes about him puking and him, you know, passing out and him getting nasty and screaming and yelling at everybody and eating cockroaches and all kinds of crazy stuff that I could tell you some nutty stories about, but my wife would probably kill me. But, um, and he, for the last couple of years, he's been able to enjoy a beer, a drink, you know, here and there and not, and not let it overcome him. And so I do think it's possible, you know, I, I don't, but, it, but I guess there's a big difference between, you know, someone whose life has genuinely, genuinely been just about, you know, exploded because of it versus someone who may have went through a trying time for a short period of time and kind of got back on their feet and realized what they were doing was wrong and made it made a difference. But, you know, it's hard. It's hard to kind of it's hard to differentiate a singular problem based on an experience, an addiction. You know, I don't know. I mean, a lot of people would probably tell me I'm completely wrong. And if I talk to a psychologist or a shrink or somebody like that, they would probably say, you know, anytime you do something in excess, it's considered a, you know, an addiction. Okay. And if that's the case, then we're all addicted to a bunch of crap that's out there. So money over probably a lot of people are addicted to money and, you know, fame and fortune and new things and Amazon, <laughs> you know what I mean? And all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So I, I know a lot of people that are addicted to, you know, their physical appearance and their bodies and all kinds of crazy stuff. So you know, it is what it is. And I know this show took like a bunch of different weird random turns, but I just had a lot of things I wanted to talk about and I had to figure out kind of a way to put it through and, uh, make sense of it all, I guess. So, um, I really appreciate you guys and please anybody who listened to the show, don't think that I'm calling anybody out or trying to make anybody feel bad about what they're doing. It's not the case at all. It's just a lot of thinking that I, you know, had to do. And I think it came, these, a lot of these thoughts came to me because I have cut back so much on my drinking and it's like, and I thought it was going to be hard and it wasn't, and it hasn't been, and it's been so much, it's been funny actually to the point where I've been like, you know, I go to the fridge like on a Friday night or a Saturday night, you know, if there's an opportunity or if I'm thinking about, you know, doing the show or whatever, and I open the fridge and I look at the beer I have in there and I'm like, eh. You know, and there's, there's not like, it's almost like I had to force myself to drink beer to just to have some beer to to talk about or to do on the show because I just didn't really feel like it. And it hasn't been like that every day. There has been, you know, days where I've been like, ah, you know, I could have a beer today, you know, long, stressful day or whatever. And one's been good. I haven't had, haven't had a desire to go for more. I haven't had a desire to, you know, to go beyond that. I've just enjoyed that one beer and been done with it. And it's been a good thing. So I think that's an important aspect of, you know, maintaining control over your life and maintaining control over what could potentially become an addiction. So if you guys have any issues, if you're in that spot and you want somebody to talk to, dude, I'm always here willing to reach out and have a conversation with anybody at any time. So don't be afraid to reach out. This is episode 45 of calling all crap beer. My name is Luke. Later. Later.